0: can call it a lot of different things it could be your command center but it is the throne room of God and John in chapter 4 says after these things and we know we've looked at the first chapter to see what he's meaning there is from this point forward the church age is over from this point forward everything else is future tense and it's a beautiful trip out on this. Is John gets time traveled? He goes out of into whole different dimensions. He goes into into the spirit realm, just like Jesus when he was resurrected. He was in a whole different body, in a whole different way. He was could be tangibly touched. He touched. He felt. He smelled. I mean, you guys see every time after Jesus resurrected, really every time the disciples around, they're eating so he's not just a spirit thing that he's eating food and it's encouraging to me to know that hey we're still going to be able to eat food right right i mean that's a good thing we're gonna have marriage suppers and jesus is always eating i don't know if after you pass in the spirit you're like you're hungry i don't know if you if you even need it anymore but if it's there and he does it but john translates into that realm he tastes he touches he sees he hears he's It's not just this little mystical, like, I had a vision thing. He's in spirit, like Jesus, that resurrected form. It's a whole new dimension, all those dimensions. And he's time-traveled, so he's outside of the realm of time. He goes from church age, boom, into throne room. That is, that's like time-travel stuff, and he does it. And he's experiencing that. Now, he does that in the spirit. So he says, after these things, I looked. So he sees and behold, a door opens in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after these things. It says immediately. I was in the spirit. In the Greek, it says, and immediately I became spirit. That's a little different. And immediately I was in the spirit. Immediately I became spirit. And behold a throne. First thing he sees. Boom. Behold a throne. Now this is like it's all happening. He's going, shoom, and the throne is coming into position. All the stuff is happening. It's, it is this. Whoa. Behold. And why I'm saying that, it's a little different scenario than what we see when Isaiah sees the throne, when it's written of, this is at a different time. Behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. Isn't that beautiful? That is God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, one. And one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceed flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And I'm going to stop there because we're not going to get any further than that. I will promise you. You guys, this journey has been something every I can't get a few verses in Revelation is so just magnificent. That it takes you back. If you don't know the Old Testament, you're going to just read through a bunch of stuff and not see what's going on. But God wants, and he wants us to see that he is writing and, and wanting us to, he's outside of our time. He, is, he has used 66 books from different authors at different times. And he has interwoven this message. And there's a consistency. And it is mind-boggling to see that there is a God of this universe outside of our dimensions wanting us to understand him and wanting us to see the things that he's laying out before us and he doesn't want us to miss it. And it is, it is, I'm in, I'm in awe all the time. And I'm more in awe now of God than I've ever been. And I'm more in awe of his word than I've ever been. It is so wonderful. So as we get into this, it was a very simple thing that I have to, we can't go past. And it's and immediately I became spirit. He was immediately changed and caught away to the throne room of heaven into the future tense. And when I began to read that, something came to my mind, and I believe it's from the Holy Spirit. He reminded me that Jesus said that we must worship in what? Spirit. And truth listen to what jesus said in john chapter 4 verse 23 and 24 he says but a time is coming and even now has arrived wow so he's saying a time's coming and even now has arrived when the true worshipers if you got your bible say circle true worshipers you know, there's a lot of worshipers. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people that call themselves the church. As we read through the seven churches, there's seven time periods of churches that I believe that is that is very real, but it's also an overwhelming completion of the church. And you see through these different churches, Jesus is speaking some things, and there's overcomers in the church, and there's parts of the church that are not overcoming. You follow me? So he knows, like, just because you're saying you're a worshiper i like this distinction he says the time is coming and now is when true worshipers will not true worshipers will know not true worshipers will understand not true worshipers will have the knowledge of true worshipers will what will they do worship the father in spirit and in truth now I'm not the sharpest guy, but from the when I first started reading this passage years ago, I translate it to myself this way: If it's in spirit and truth, that means it's not in flesh or not in falsehood. That means it's not my flesh, and it's not being false. Spirit, truth. How many know we can worship the Lord in our flesh? That means we can the praise things that are going on. It's not for show. It's not so that you get attention. We're not waving flags so people go, oh, my gosh, look at how wonderfully they wave the flag. We're not playing drums so people go, oh, my gosh, what an amazing drummer. We're not singing so people can get, oh, you've got such a wonderful voice. I'm not preaching so people go, oh, Pastor Steve, you're a great preacher. We're worshiping in spirit and then in what? Truth. Must be in truth. If you're worshiping in spirit, your flesh doesn't get glorified. Amen? He says, a time is coming, and even now has arrived, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, listen to that, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must, circle that word, that's not that's it's must if you're going to worship the father it must be in spirit and it must be in truth or guess what you're not worshiping him there are only leaves two other things you could be worshiping yourself or the enemy there's a lot of churches that never enter into spirit and truth but they have worship time is coming and even now has arrived we're not waiting for that time it is now for the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth you know what that means it doesn't matter what you feel like it doesn't matter then you get yourself into a position that i must come in my daily walk i must worship him in spirit i means like i gotta get out of my flesh my flesh doesn't mean a whole lot to me anymore paul said i've been crucified with christ nevertheless i nevertheless i live at this life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul knew, I can't walk this walk, I can't worship God, I can't live in the flesh any longer because my flesh was crucified with Christ. Is that, is that what he's saying? I must live in spirit now. I must let the Spirit of God who resurrected, who lives inside of me, be in charge. I can't give my flesh the out because my flesh will take it every time. I don't feel like it. I'm tired. It might be hot, it might be too cold. Your flesh will cry out, but we got to crucify that flesh. Paul said, I crucify my flesh daily. That's how he worships in spirit and truth, that's how we walk in the spirit. Not in the flesh. If we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. This isn't a new concept. But Jesus says, the Father's looking for worshipers who will. Not who will read about. Not who will sing about. Who will do this. And it's bringing that sacrifice of praise and putting it on the altar. Even when you don't feel like it. But it's not a sacrifice to worship him. It's presenting it. As a sacrifice. Amen. You guys following me? This is what caught my attention. And immediately I became in spirit. There is no way to inhabit. See, God did, did John a solid. He said, your flesh cannot handle my glory. If he would had taken him, he'd have been smoked. He would have been smoked. Your flesh cannot handle the glory of god he said in in, in order for you to come here i gotta take you out of your flesh and guess what guys that's the whole process of when we go to see him our flesh is corrupt and it cannot encounter the incorruption so we have to be let loose of this and it is gonna happen because there's no flesh gonna inherit in present the kingdom so we about to start doing it now. He does John a solid. Immediately I became spirit. John got fast forward to what's going to happen when we, verse 1, after these things. The harpazo, the rapture. You're instantly transformed out of flesh. It says the dead in Christ will rise. Those will be transformed. What's the Transformed. Out of flesh, into spirit, just like John experienced. Able to know dimensions, no boundaries in the dimensions that we experience now. All of them opened up. It is going to be awesome. I mean, it is, I mean, there's metaphysics involved. There's so many things that are, that science does not disprove the Bible. The Bible proves God has shown in every way, every time they go, they're like, oh my gosh. They've discovered, there's actually no, or there is now, they've discovered a beginning. There was a beginning. They know know our universe is not infinite. It's finite. They know that there is an end out there. There was a beginning, just like the word says. But we are going to be out of these Dimensional boundaries that hold us free. I experienced one time, almost maybe twice, but one for real. Like one I know that I know something was happening, and I was in a prayer meeting and a prayer service, and just kind of laid out on the floor. We had we had um pews, and I think I was just laying down on my face, and there was a bunch of people just praying, and we were just we just get together and pray, put some music on, and no agenda. And all of a sudden, like as I'm I'm worshiping and just praying and seeking the Lord, how I mean, you get lost in that sometimes? You just get lost. I just kind of got lost. But all of a sudden, everything on this realm here was fading. It started getting distanced. And it caught my attention. I was lost, and all of a sudden, I, re- I feel like I'm going up. It felt, you ever been like, if you imagine the sound and everything else, because there was people praying, all, all, everything was going away, and it, it caught my and I went. I opened my eyes. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I, I'm, I must be like 50, 60 feet up in the air or something." Like, I, I'm like, "Oh," and it was like, Woof. I'm like, "Dang it! <laughs> like, why'd you have to? Like, why'd you have to even think about it?" He's wanting us to go into a place with him that is not about this. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 1 Corinthians 15, 50-53 says it this way. Now I say, this is Paul. Now I say this, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Cannot. But oh, how we want it to. It cannot. It says, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Woo. In a moment. That is the, the smallest divisible time. F- you can only cut time down. It's like one to the 42nd power of a second. That's as far down as you can, you can cut time down to. That's as fast as the speed of light goes through your iris in your eye. In that moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The last, whatever, behold, I'm telling you mystery. We will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and perishable and we will be changed. Just like what happened to John. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality now if you're wondering okay what's the last trumpet that he's speaking about here i'm going to show you something there was a first trumpet and this is going to be the last trumpet of the church age it's the same trumpet that that paul speaks of the first thessalonians he said at the sound of the trumpet the dead in christ will rise I heard the sound of a trumpet. And there's all kinds of different thoughts. People can go into a Jewish thing where at the um, different r- pat, uh, feasts, they would blow a series of trumpets, and the first one would be pretty long, and then they would do like a staccatos, like pop, 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 pop. Then the very last one would just be, they would blow out was, all the breath they had. Wah! And some people, well, that's what he's talking about. It's just going to be a really long blast. I don't think so. I mean, it could be. Great scholars think that, and I, it's okay. I just think it's just very simply that this is the last trumpet of the age, and it's signifying what? What is it signifying? The catching away. Some people will say, "Well, that's the last trumpet in Revelations." That's not what that's signifying. That's the, the trumpets that are bringing wrath out. This is this is speaking in context of rapture. Okay. All right. I want I want you guys to do me a favor. I've been telling you there's a lot of lot of Old Testament involved here. We're going to detour for just a second. Turn with me to Exodus, chapter nineteen. Now, I was just reading for fun some time back, going through Genesis and Exodus, and just reading through. And I had been begun my study in Revelation, and some things started standing out to me. I'm reading out of this out of King James. Oh, don't forget on the back of your bulletins, there's a spot for notes. How many have been using those? Good. Praise the Lord. We didn't have that before. Hallelujah. So Exodus 19. Um, well, I'm just going to start. I'll just go ahead and start at verse 1, even though Beth, just hold tight. I'm going to get to verse 5. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Ephidim, and were came into the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thou shalt, thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagle's wings, and brought you into myself. Now therefore Here verse five if ye will obey my voice, listen to what he said, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure. Unto me, above all people, for all the earth is mine. Now that sounds pretty good. You see the if, and then. I would circle that. When you hear the Lord speak if, and then, that means there's some, Some things that we're going to have to do, right? If you do this, I will do that. He goes on. He says, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Wow, that got my attention. What does he tell us in Revelation chapter 1? He calls us, the church, a kingdom of priests. Now, this isn't isn't replacing. This is just where this first thing started that we're going to look at. And he said, I'm going to call. I want you to be, or shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Peculiar, peculiar, right? These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear When I speak with him, I wonder why he came in a thick cloud. You think that's a barrier? Like, I'm going to protect you from some of my glory. I'm guaranteeing you. (laughs) He's helping them. Yeah, you need some protection. That's why when the priests would go into the Holy of Holies, they would take the the incense and they would fill that place up with smoke and, and build a barrier between them and the presence of God. That will come later. And the Lord, verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee with a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the, of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them. Circle sanctify them. Today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. Pay attention. Verse 11, And be ready. I would circle and be ready. The Lord says to Moses, go into the people, sanctify them. That means prepare them. Prepare them for my meeting. Tomorrow, let them wash their clothes. Wash yourselves. Get ready. It says, and be ready against the third day. The what day? The third day. I'd circle third day. Then circle this. The Lord will come down. in the sight of all the people upon mount sinai and thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about saying take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount nor touch the border of it whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death there shall not one hand touch it but he shall surely be stoned or shot through whether it be beast or man it shall not live when the trumpet soundeth long they shall come up to the mount When? When the trumpet soundeth long. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, be ready. There's a doctrine that is a false doctrine that preaches that you do not need to be ready. Church, we are, Jesus taught we are to be ready for his return. Eminence at any moment he can come. That's what he taught. He gave many, 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 many parables, many stories. He told us over and over. Be ready. Sounds familiar here. It came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings. And a thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice of the trumpet. Exceeding loud. And so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp. I'd circle thunders and lightnings, thick cloud, voice of the trumpet. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. That means it was covered in smoke because the lord descended upon it in fire the lord came down on it and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly and when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder moses spoke and god answered him by a voice i'd circled the lord descended upon it in fire in Circle God answered him by a voice. Circle the Lord came down in verse 20. The Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And circle this. The Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. The Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people lest they break through unto the Lord, and gaze. And many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. <laughs> Dude, his glory is something fierce. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the mount, for they, for thou hast charged us, saying, Set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up. Thou and Aaron with thee, But let not the priests and the people break through to come up upon the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke unto them. Now, as I was reading this passage of scripture, just for my funsies. These things started popping out to me because I've been reading and studying Revelation. I want you to look at some. A picture of Jesus's return. That's right here. In Exodus 19. In verse 5. Israel was a peculiar people. That's what he calls them. In 1 Peter 2.9. The church is called a peculiar people. Israel was a kingdom of priests. In verse 6 of Exodus 19. The church is kings and priests unto God. In Revelation 1.6. The people were to be sanctified. In verse 10. The believers, as the church, is to sanctify yourself in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, sanctify thyself. God appeared on the third day. Verse 11. Christ was raised on the third day. And Hosea 6.1 and 3 speaks of this time of of the millennium of Christ coming and returning. God came down in the clouds in verse 16 of, of Exodus. And he is coming in the clouds, according to Acts 1, 9 through 11. He said, in the same way that you see me go, I will return. And in the rapture, we're meeting him in the clouds. He's not coming and taking, taking, he's not stepping on the earth. We're not meeting him on the earth. We're meeting him in the clouds. He's calling us to come up, and he's descending down. Kind of like what happened here. God came down in lightning in verse 16. Matthew 24, 27 says he's coming as lightning. God's voice was as a trumpet in verse 16. The trumpet of God will sound, verse Thessalonians 4, 16. That's the same, and it's the same word, the trump of God. The only two places, that's the trump of God. The first one, the last one. God answers Moses in a voice, verse 19. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says that he will speak in a voice and it'll sound like the voice of an archangel. Verse 18 said, God came down in fire. Well, 2 Thessalonians 1 7 through 10, speaking of the rapture, says Christ returns to earth in flaming fire. And speaking of the second coming. God descends from heaven. In verse 20, he comes down. Christ will descend from heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4.16. God called Moses up, verse 20. The saints will be caught up, 1 Thessalonians four seventeen. You can't make this stuff up. He wants us to see this is the plan. This is the plan. This is the plan. Now, that was all for free. You're going to see a lot more Old Testament stuff here very shortly as we get into the throne room. next thing i want to look at is he says behold a throne verse 2 immediately i was in spirit and behold a throne was standing in heaven behold a throne the first thing named and the central part of the vision and everything that follows from this point is the throne room and revolves around the throne this is this is not a little thing we can just read past it as we it's after these things boom He's caught up. What does he see? The throne room. Everything proceeds from the throne room. Everything's happening from the throne room. The throne is the most important thing that he sees and everything proceeds from that point. That's why we're not going to run past this. I'm glad that I didn't because as I begin to stare this out, my mind's like going, pow! Lord, you're awesome! Among the last words, now, now remember this, among the last words of the previous chapter, the last words to the last of the church you remember what he said to the overcomers he said he who overcomes this is the last one he who overcomes I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne we're not going to make it there but remember I told you you need to be studying 24 elders you studying the 24 elders you looking into that be looking into that. Do some homework on that. Because next week we're going to get into that. But I have to say, in that throne room, he says, he starts referring to the throne, it made me think, oh man, the last thing he said. We're going to be seated with him. He doesn't describe the throne. It's very, it's very interesting to me as John is he doesn't give a whole lot of detail of the throne. So we're left to think of the power and the authority. That's what, that's what the significance of the throne is, is. It's a seat of power and of authority. Amen? I hope you agree with that. <laughs> he doesn't describe it, so, so we understand that it's, it's the, the main important thing we're supposed to see is the power and authority of which the throne is a symbol. It is left as an undescribed and perhaps indescribable seat of grandeur, greatness, Majesty and dominion. And I'm going to say, I believe that's 100% true as he begins to describe God on the throne. He says, And upon the throne, one sitting. Now, I love how he, when he goes to describe the one, the God, the Father, the Son, he doesn't give shape, form. He's, this is blowing his mind. John does not give mention of a name or of a figure described, like he does in the first chapter of Revelation. He gives specific details of Jesus. His eyes are on fire. John doesn't give mention of a name or a figure described of the throne, or, he says, but we know what is meant. John was overwhelmed and in awe. Would you agree? And by his words, we know this. He was looking upon an unnameable, indescribable Godhead in which Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are of the same substance and essence and the same. Each of the three persons entirely possessing the one nature. He is, I saw one sitting on a throne. Now listen to how he goes into describe this. John is trying, he's trying best he can to describe God. How many know it says God is light? Like, there's so many different clues. That tell, like, what we have pictured of God and how we are so easily can take, like, God is here, Jesus is over there, the Holy Spirit's, they're always one, completely, in one. It's... But they're all the same essence they're sharing of each other perfectly in unity but they're all possessing one nature jesus said, have you seen me you've seen the father so whatever we saw jesus that's the father he's doing it i don't believe jesus was separate on the cross i believe the father son and the holy spirit were crucified on the cross because they're one i don't believe god was sitting way up off the the father going Man, I can't have anything to do with my son now because he became sin. Stop it. They're one. Anytime you take God or the Father or the Holy Spirit out of one another, you done screwed up. You got to get a new theology. Can you go, I don't understand that. Yes, I do that a lot. But there's some things that I know. God's one. That was for free. John's trying to describe God the best he can. It's like trying to describe that, what I just described. They're three people, yes. They're in one essence, sharing of each other, completely in unity. They're three, yes. They're one, though. They're three in one. So John's describing what he sees the best he can, and he's being overwhelmed. What's he overwhelmed by? He's overwhelmed by thirst right now. My voice is starting to get to where I'm not going to be able to talk. Forgive me. So he's overwhelmed, and he begins to speak and share what he sees. He's overwhelmed by the presence. You guys ever been overwhelmed by the presence of God? I can't believe he's even standing, because the only reason he's standing, he's not in flesh. Has your flesh ever been overwhelmed by the presence of God? Mine has. I've li- I've not had no one push me, touch me, and I just, boom, was out in his presence. Now, I've had people try to do that. (laughs) Don't let no one push you down. If God wants you down, he'll knock you down. I had people try, and I just grab a hold of the chairs in front of me or the pews and just look them straight in the eye. Look, you're not going to push me over. You can pray for me all you want, but quit pushing. But the Holy Spirit, when you become overwhelmed in his presence, I don't care how strong you think you are. Buddy, if he wants you down, you're going down. And it's a beautiful thing. So John is like overwhelmed in the presence and glory of God. And he does the best that he possibly can and describes. I want you to understand something, too. From this point forward, everything that John begins to describe and names that are used for God are all Jewish. From before this, all the descriptions to the church are everything that come out of chapter 1. Everything from this point forward is all Jewish. And we'll get into that a little bit later. What, are you, what am I saying, Pastor Steve? He begins to use all the names and terminology, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Everything is Jewish in nature. I wonder why that is. Now watch, it starts even here. What does he describe? He says, and he was sitting, was and he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a Sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Now this is kind of cool. I began studying this. I'm gonna take you back to the priestly, the high priest. The high priest, what does he call? kings and priests the high priests wore priestly garment they had a a plate and a patch that sat over them and they were stones the 12 tribes and the tribes the sons of Jacob each stone was given now it's kind of interesting Jewish people would understand this he names these stones the first stone in the high priest's breastplate just happens to be the sardis It also represents Jacob's first son, whose name was Reuben, whose name means, behold, a son. That's how it starts. Behold, a son. That stone that he says in this appearance. Now, I wonder what the Jasper stone would be then. It's the last stone in the high priest's plate. Are you following me yet? And his name would be Benjamin on that stone. And Benjamin's name means son of my right hand. Behold a son, son of my right hand. Where's son of my right hand at? On the throne. Behold a son. He's born in the earth. Son of my right hand. Where is that at? All the way back to the high priest. You think he's trying to tell us something? You think God is is saying, look, I'm the first and I'm the last. You follow me? I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the behold a son and I'm the son who sits at the right hand. All of that from that. This is all through the book of Revelation. Revelation. We're not just church. I, I don't know. I don't know if people are tripping out because we're staying in Revelation, but I hope you know. we're not just staying in Revelation. If we've we've we been going through Revelation, have we been going through the whole Bible. OK. Are you learning anything? OK. Because I tell you what I am. I've never been more excited in my life to study the word. The order of the stones on the high priest's breastplate reminds us that he is the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. we got to know that. Above the stones were written the names of the leaders of the tribes of Israel. Reuben means behold a son, and Benjamin means the son of my right hand. The imagery is that Jesus is the son of God, and he sits at the right hand of Father. As we get into the... To the beasts and the faces of the, fe- the beasts, you're going to be blown away of what God is trying to show us. And, and, and he has not been hiding what his plan was from the beginning. Jesus is from beginning to end through the word. And God's plan was from the very beginning, from the foundations of the world, that his son would come and be a redeemer. Hebrews 12, chapter 1 and 2. Listen, to, God's word is so amazing. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, and I'm just adding these first verses just because I'm like, how do you not? Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, what's he talking about here? The flesh. Let us weigh, l- lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto who? Jesus, the what? The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and and what? Sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Exactly how it was laid out on the breastplate. All of that right there. That he would be the first, the author, and the finisher. How, how else do you say it? The beginning and the end. The first and the last. And that he would what? Sit at the right hand of his father. <laughs> Guys, your God is awesome. He goes on to say, not like that That wasn't enough, but he goes on to say that after the stones, in appearance... There was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Now, what do you think about when you hear a rainbow? The first thing I thought about was when did God institute a rainbow and why? It was a noaic covenant. And when I used to, well, I still do this if I can. When I do marriages, I like to remind people that with every covenant of God, there's always a symbol. The rainbow was the first symbol. It's, so it's like a ring on a finger for a wedding. It's the symbol of the covenant. So God made a covenant with Noah and with man and gave the symbol of a rainbow. What did it mean? It would never destroy the earth by a flood again, right? It was his wrath poured out on the earth, and he gave a rainbow. Now, now watch. And there was a rainbow encircling the throne, in appearance like unto an emerald. Now that word rainbow can also mean like a halo. Okay, like same thing. It's just this light of a, of a circular light that's that's going around the sardis and the jasper, which is flashes of radiance. I was a jeweler. Right? Stones, it's refraction and and on a diamond how a diamond sparkles is any light it doesn't matter like light comes into the stone and and if it's cut right all that light refracts out so like people say oh you can't cover the bottom of a diamond and your stone won't flash that's all bs light comes into the top of the stone refracts you can cover the whole bottom of that thing up you can totally encase it it don't matter because light comes in and refracts out there's light reflecting out of this throne. From these stones and, and he's like it's like the sardis it's like and he's using the the metaphors and he's using like the stones that the priests use i don't even know if he knows what he's doing but god sure knows what he's doing and then there's this rainbow just for quinky dink the rainbow is a sign of god's covenant with noah the emerald now why is the emerald important i'm glad you asked that's a great question. The emerald just happened to be the fourth stone in the high priest's breastplate. Wonder what that represents. The tribe of Judah. That its name above it is Judah. Hmm. Huh. Isn't that Jesus' birth tribe? The lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, you want to know what's awesome about the emerald stone? Glad you asked. Emeralds were given as the wedding stone of ancient times. It expressed love, devotion, and adoration. Christ the bridegroom is in covenant with his bride. Remember he said, go, I prepare a place for you. He's in covenant. He's in covenant with his bride. And a marriage and a wedding supper will be prepared in heaven for his bride. The emerald rainbow is a sign of our covenant with Christ as our bridegroom. The emerald rainbow also shows, now this is important. The emerald rainbow also shows us that though the throne is of judgment. And you need to see this. This throne, it is lightning flashing out of it. There's thunders coming out of it. It is light, just, there's Peals of thunder, voices coming out. This isn't like. <whistles> this is a throne of judgment. But there's this emerald rainbow around it, covering it. This emerald rainbow shows us that though the throne is of judgment, it is not a throne of complete destruction. It keeps its covenant. Whatever it says, it says, if those days were not cut short, no man would be able to survive. So he's saying, yes, this wrath is coming, this judgment is coming, but I'm putting an emerald rainbow. I'm gonna cover all that with this emerald rainbow. That rainbow was a sign, it still is to us today. God will never completely destroy this earth by water again. And it's a covenant for us, his bride. The jasper and the sardis flash terrible glory. Terrible glory. And out of the throne go forth lightnings and thunders and sounds or voices. But over them is the soft, beaming emerald of promise and hope and mercy. Remembering That in wrath, salvation is covering the appearance of the consuming fire of God. This is a picture of the throne. He says, immediately I was in the spirit, or immediately I became spirit in the Greek. And I looked. Behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one Sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. And from the throne proceed flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God there's a lot going on there's a lot going on as we go through chapters 4 and 5 I don't think God wants us to miss it now I don't know how long detailed we're gonna go through the whole book but I know I'm not cutting short through this throne room I know that because we need to know who are these elders we need to know all of the things that God is trying to tell us amen so that we can understand who we are we can understand his plan for this earth his plan for his people What his plan is for the Jewish people his mercy God is so merciful we can get so caught and think, oh, and we just portray, portray this God of wrath. His wrath has been being stored up for a long time. But even in this time, Daniel's 70th week, you see his mercy. That he's given people a chance. And I, I th- it could be possible that more people will come to the Lord through that than are coming to the Lord right now. I don't know that to be so. But God's merciful. And I'll tell you what, if that don't get your attention, if the Jewish people who have missed their Messiah begin to have the shaking of all shakings, and church, we're experiencing the shaking. Everything that can and will be shaken will be. Now, you heard me say can and will be. There's, And we're seeing it. We're seeing it on the news right now. We're seeing everything that can be shaken, everything that can be touched, anything that we think that thought that couldn't be touched has been touched. The church has been touched. Assembling has been touched. Thank God. He's shaken up everything that is not of him, and he's wanting everything that's not of him, everything that's of flesh, to fall by the wayside so we can worship in spirit and truth. Now, what can't be shaken? The kingdom. The kingdom can't be shaken. But this earth, oh, it's going to shake, and it's just beginning to shake. This place is going to shake, rattle, and roll. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. There's been tribulation on the earth for a long time, but there's going to come a point of great tribulation. And there's been tribulation that has come from man. The church is born in tribulation. The church has been born and being persecuted. The church is birthed in that. And it's always survived and thrived in it. And all over the world, there's been more persecution, more tribulation happened in this last century than all the history of the church. And America hasn't tasted much of it. Now, I'm not going to be a doom and gloomer. I don't know. I don't think we're, we're exempt. But here's what a lot of people forget. This country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. This country was founded on the the belief that all men are created equal, that all men have been given inalienable rights. I mean, all of the rights that this country stands for from our forefathers meant that they were given by God. And not Allah, not Krishna, not Buddha, God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the one God, the one true God. One and only God. So maybe this country is just a little special to the Lord. That doesn't mean because Israel's been real special to the Lord too, that He hasn't brought discipline to those whom He loves. But I'm not going to sit there and tell you, well, until America repents, he, he'll, God will have to repent to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't founded on Christ. And I do understand that there's judgment. When you sin, there's always a wage of sin, which is death. But I'm not going to be a doom and gloomer and tell you that, well, America's out, we're going down the toilet. I don't know that. But I know God. And I know he's faithful. And I know what his word says to us and the promises that he has to us and the signs that he's given us. And he said it over and over and over and over. Here's what I know. I got to worship him in spirit and in truth. I need to let go of everything else that's vying for my attention to get me out of spirit. I've got to sacrifice stuff and put it back on the altar if I'm carrying it again. If when that moment, when I was transformed and I went from death to life, all the things that didn't matter at that point, because I'll tell you what, there was a big list of them nothing else mattered when I got saved. Nothing else. Except for Christ, and like Paul said, Him crucified. That resurrection life, is all that mattered. That's what we got to get back to. That we count ourselves as dead. I've already been crucified with Christ, so what am I worried about? He is the resurrection. He is my source of hope. He is my source of life. He is the air I breathe. He is the song I sing. I'm looking forward to that day. That day. Whether it be by death or whether it be by rapture, I'm looking forward to that day. That's my blessed hope. Because I've already died to this earth. I've already died to this, the plans and to the hopes and to the dreams that this world has to offer. Incorruption cannot inherit. Or that corruption can't inherit incorruption. Aren't you glad? So let let go of it now. Get in spirit. And know that your God is awesome. Your God is awesome. Church, your God is awesome. He wants us to know, hey, I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the alpha and the omega. I got all this covered. I'm the one who came in and I'm the one who's coming. Amen? Let's pray. Lord.